So have you ever experienced something like this? You've been asked to follow a legendary leader, someone who's bigger than life. Or perhaps you've been assigned a job that seems absolutely overwhelming. You might not have asked for it, but you've been assigned that job. Or perhaps, quite frankly, your current job has become overwhelming. The task you've been assigned seems too large for your capacity. Or maybe something like this. Maybe you're a senior and you're just afraid about the future. You're looking at the future and you're saying to yourself, can I do this? Will I make it? Is it going to work? If you've ever been in one of those situations or currently find yourself in such a situation, it's no doubt true that you're asking questions similar to those questions that I think inevitably Joshua asked. When he was confronted with the job of leading the people, surely some of those things were his thoughts. I mean, after all, consider the background of this comment that God gives him, be courageous, be strong, don't worry. You're going to lead these people. The background is this. The people who had led, been led by Moses, uh, the people who had been led through the wilderness were led by Moses. The guy who threw down the ten plagues, the guy who took his staff and stretched it out over the Red Sea and the water parted, the guy who spoke to a rock and struck a rock and water came out, the guy who said, we need some food here, God, and God rained down manna and quail, the guy who interceded between God and the people and said, God, please, don't wipe them out. The guy who literally spoke to God as it were, the Scripture says, in a way no one else had, like, face-to-face, the man Moses who really received the very words of God, that was the background. And here's Joshua. Joshua, Moses led these people for 40-some years. Now he's dead. It's your turn. How would you like that job? You think your circumstances are difficult? You think the task is overwhelming? You think the legend behind you is larger than life? Think of Joshua. That was the background. But what was the real situation for Joshua? Well, first, the precedent, and we already said, is, is really unbelievable. The precedent is Moses. And I'm going to conjecture at several different points along the way, I think rightly so, What might have been true for Joshua as he faced this incredible precedent of Moses? Joshua might have said to himself, and if he had, he would have been correct, I'm not the same kind of leader. God called me to do a job, the same one as Moses, but I'm different. And you see, that's played out in the book of Joshua. It doesn't appear that Joshua was the prophet that Moses was. Not in the same kind of way. 
He might have said to himself, I'm not the same kind of leader. I don't play and probably cannot play the same kind of priestly role that Moses played. And that seems to be played out in the life of Joshua. He doesn't seem to be the same kind of person who routinely stands between God and the people and intercedes priestly on their behalf. Not that he never prays for the people, but it's different. Yeah, he was a different kind of leader. But you know, he was the right kind of leader. Apparently, his skill set, apparently what he'd been called to do was especially a good match for who he was. Uh, He apparently was a good general, a good leader of men for battle. He apparently was a rather wise administrator because in addition to leading people into battle, he had to orchestrate the land and the peace. He had to set up the tribes and where they should be and how they should conduct themselves. So yes, the precedent was huge. It was Moses, and he was a different kind of leader. What else was his circumstance or his situation? The expectations were enormous. Here's the expectation. Joshua knew it quite well. It's your turn, Joshua, to lead this terribly volatile group of people. Remember, Joshua had been with Moses. He'd walked through all kinds of situations with Moses. As a matter of fact, he'd come down from Mount Sinai, you remember, just last week, and seen the golden calf, the reverie, and all the things that were against God. And he'd seen Moses strike out at the people and also hold God in abeyance so the people could live. He'd seen all that. He knew those people. He'd watched them say, we want to go back to Egypt. And he'd watched Moses intercede. He saw all that volatility. And now he's called to lead these people. Don't you think he said to himself, oh, I wonder if this is going to work. I'm not sure I can keep them together. Can I be the glue that holds these people together? I want to conjecture further. Uh, here it is. These people knew themselves. They knew their own history. They knew they were a difficult people. And some of them may have thought or even said, do you think he's got what it takes to keep us together? We're a hard bunch. So Joshua has got an enormous precedent. He's got a huge set of expectations. And third, well, he just got an enormous challenge. Uh, Moses was great. Don't mean to underestimate him in any way. Incredible leader, one of the greatest in history, not just in the Bible. But you know what? He left an unfinished job. Yeah, he did. As a matter of fact, He wasn't able to finish the job because, according to God, he wasn't faithful. We look at it and can't believe the so-called unfaithfulness. He just did something that God said not to do. He struck a rock instead of spoke to a rock. God wanted absolute obedience from Moses, and after that event, he said to Moses, you're not going to be able to lead these people into the promised land. Listen, my friends, that was at the core of his identity. 
When he was at the burning bush, it was all about leading the people into the promised land. And now everything he was about came to an end. Moses is not leading the people into the promised land. Joshua is. The job is unfinished. And Joshua inherits this unfinished job. You're supposed to lead the men to conquer the people who are now settled there and to help them settle themselves. In light of that job that he's been given, God gives him these words. Be strong and courageous. He gives them instructions. How are you going to do what I called you to do? This is it, Joshua. Be strong. That is, don't give up on the exercise of your duty. He didn't say to him when he said, be strong, I want you to be a chest beater, obnoxious and loud. I want you to be a certain kind of leader, verbose. None of that was said to Joshua when God said to him, be strong. He just said to him, I don't want you to give up. I want you to be strong enough to continue to make the next step. Be strong also wasn't a prohibition against rest. He didn't say to Joshua, I want you to be strong. Don't ever take a break. There were times that Joshua had to be absolutely exhausted and wondering if he could go on. But he heard these words from God again, I want you to be strong. When God said be strong to Joshua, he didn't mean be strong-headed. I want you to be kind of the kind of leader that says my way or the highway. That's not what God was saying to Joshua. God was saying to Joshua, I want you to stay on task. I don't want you to give up. I want you to set your face on the goal, and I want you to keep moving. Be strong. Second thing he told him is be courageous. That doesn't mean, Joshua, I don't want you to ever experience fear. Uh, find me a soldier who says he's never experienced fear, and you will have found a soldier who's never experienced combat. Fear is a part of life. So when he says be courageous, he doesn't mean you'll never fear. He means to put it in another way, as he said at the end, don't be terrified or overcome by your fear. Don't be paralyzed by your fear. Because this is not about you, this is about me. So be strong and courageous and face your fear and walk through your fear and do not stop because of your fear. That's what I want you to do, Joshua. I want you to be strong I want you to be courageous. And here's the third thing he told him. I don't want you to depart from the law. You know the law, Joshua. I handed it down to Moses. I don't want you to leave it. It doesn't mean I just want you to read it. It means, as he says, I want you to meditate on it. I want to make that law in you so much in you that it is you. I want you to think about it. I want you to meditate on it. I want it to be your very source of life. Don't turn from the left or from the right. Don't do anything but follow that law. Make it the very step and cadence of your life. It is what I'm calling you to, Joshua.
Be strong, be courageous, and follow the law. And then he gives them the promise. And the promise is this. If you follow my instructions, you'll prosper and have success. If you follow my instructions, you will prosper and you have success. Second promise. I'll go with you everywhere you go. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Third promise. And now I revert back to the first. The promise of success is inseparably linked, chained to faithfulness to following the law. God did not say to Joshua, Joshua, I want you to do it your own way and I'll give you success. He didn't say to Joshua, I want you to do whatever your headstrong intuition tells you and no matter what you do, I'm going to bless you. He said, here's what I want you to do. Follow the law and if you do, I'll give you success. There's something else um, that's implied in this promise. The promise for success is inextricably linked with a call. God's call on his life. In other words, God didn't say to Joshua, Joshua, you're a really good guy. I like you a lot. I'm going to give you success in everything you do. You're never going to have a failed crop. When you plant an apple tree, it's going to grow and it's going to bear fruit all the time, all the time, everywhere. He said none of that to Joshua. His promise for success didn't have anything to do with Joshua and his personal little stuff. It had everything to do with Joshua and his call. And his call was to enter the land with the people and make it the place for them to live. That, he says, if you follow me, in my calling for you, I will give you absolute success. Now, he doesn't even define success thoroughly. He doesn't tell him everything about success. He just says, my mission will be accomplished if you follow me. That's my promise. Now, here's what's funny about uh, how we do application. I, I'm the worst at it, right? Because I'm a preacher. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to look at this, come up with ideas for you guys to apply to your life and all that kind of stuff. I don't mean to be silly, but that's what I'm supposed to do. Uh, no, let me put it a different way. It's what I love doing. <laughs> Did you hear that, Board of Elders? That's what I love doing. Um, I do love doing it because the Word of God is so practical. It really does address us, right? But in the midst of my, my desire to apply the Word of God to our lives, I can become kind of trivial. And in the midst of your circumstances and your desire to have God's will applied to your life, you can get kind of trivial. So an example, a couple of weeks ago, I was in LA running a half marathon with my son, the Los Angeles Rock and Roll Half Marathon. 
Do four of these a year. Can't run a lick, but I plod along, get through it, enjoy it. If I just said to myself on that trip, God, tell you what I'm trusting you for. I'm trusting you that you're going to give me the race of my life and I'm going to be able to run as fast as my 26-year-old son. Not going to happen. I'm 51, not even a good runner. He didn't even train, and he walked most of the time keeping up with me. I mean, it was bad. I'm slow. Okay, it's got nothing to do with that kind of trivium in my life. I can't say to God, I'm going to claim the promise of Joshua here. Be strong and courageous and you'll cross the finish line in one hour and 30 minutes. It's not going to happen. Because quite frankly, my friends, God doesn't care about my half marathon time. He cares about me. He doesn't care about whether or not I get a parking spot. As a matter of fact, maybe I'm not supposed to. And maybe I'm supposed to finish a half marathon in three hours. That's not what this is about. That's not the kind of application we, meet, we make. What is the kind of application we make? We make the application to God's calling in our life. Following God in every situation. And sometimes, quite frankly, my friends, sometimes the outcome is not as clear cut. It was pretty clear what Joshua's job was. He's supposed to invade the land and settle it. Wouldn't you like it if your job description was that easy? Even if it was hard. But it's not. There's lots of ambiguity in there. The point is, when we hear these words and apply them to ourselves, we apply them to ourselves as it relates to God's calling in our life, God's work in our life, and it does affect lots of things. Before we make some maybe practical applications to what it does mean, let's think about what God did not say. God did not say to Joshua, and he is not saying to us, be strong, courageous, I'll give you success, and there will be no trouble or pain. He did not say that. God did not say to Joshua, and he is not saying to us, be strong and courageous and follow me, and I'll give you success, and I'll keep you from all mistakes. He did not say that. As a matter of fact, those mistakes are the very grace of God. I've never learned anything better than when I make a mistake. He did not say, listen to me carefully. He did not say, be strong and courageous. Don't depart from the law. I'll give you success. I'll never leave you or forsake you, and you'll never feel left or forsaken. He did not say that. He said, I will not leave you or forsake you. He did not say you will not feel left or forsaken. We know that from life. We know that from the saints. My goodness, we know it from Jesus. Are we better than him? Who in the garden, in the midst of soul travail, said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, by the way, he meant it. He felt it. 
What he did not feel was the presence of God. So God does not say to us, I will never leave you or forsake you, and you'll never feel forsaken. You're going to feel forsaken. But it's still true. He hasn't forsaken you. There's something else God didn't say. He didn't say, I will give you success according to your own standards. He has his own measure of success. He knows the objective. And he'll achieve it. Now, what, what is God saying to us? In, in this passage and in other passages. Well, first, you know, there's actually a revised edition of this story. Kind of. It's not really a story, but it's a revised edition of what is said. You've heard the words before? It's said to those who are Christ followers. And they read like this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of battle comes or the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after having done everything to stand, after you don't think you can take another step? After you are overwhelmingly confused? After you are thoroughly indecisive? After you don't know what to do next and you feel you can do nothing else? After that, stand firm. Stand firm then with the belt of truth around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And then, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. The shield of faith with which you can extinguish every arrow of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. Remember when uh, God said to Joshua, I want you to take that law. I want you to meditate on it. I don't want you to let it out of your heart. Paul says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Eat it. Breathe it. Live it. Make it your life. You know, I, this is a wonderful passage, but I gotta tell you, if it stopped there, I'd be disappointed. Paul didn't stop there. Because if he'd have stopped there, it would have seemed like it was all about my shield, even though it was God's. All about my sword, even though it was the word of God. If he hadn't have put this last bit of information in there, it wouldn't have been near as good. Because he says this, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. 
And with this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the saints. Bob, I want you to take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And then with all that in hand, I want you to pray for the saints because it's not all about you, Bob. It's about the church of Jesus Christ. It's about the plan of God. And Bob, you have the privilege, tiny little speck of humanity that you are, to be a part of the plan of God. So I've armed you well, Bob. I've given you what you need. Be strong and courageous. Don't turn to the right or the left. Follow me. I will accomplish my will. And pray for all those other people who are doing the same thing. Because this is big, Bob. It's not about you. That, that's the revision I see in Ephesians chapter 6. What do we do with it? I think there's three things. God says, follow me, and I'll take care of the outcome. Why? Because it's my project. God says, you might be afraid, but don't be paralyzed, because I'm in charge. God says, you're never going to walk alone, ever. Can you trust me? I uh, thought about this this week, and I thought to myself, there's a lot of people who, if they said to me, Bob, I'm not going to walk away from you, I would believe them. Certain friends and certain family. But on occasion, I have a hard time believing it when God says it. That's because he's invisible. That's because I can't see all his purposes. That's because this God is so mysterious and so out there sometimes that I wonder whether or not he really is here. But he keeps saying over and over again, believe me, I'm there. Believe me, I've got a plan. Believe me, you're in the right place. Believe me, follow me. I'll take care of everything. That's what he says over and over again. And i got to believe it. You've got to believe it. Because it's true. Be strong. Be courageous. Follow God. The rest is up to Him. Let's pray. God, I thank You uh, that You've given us um, the assurance that You'll never leave us or forsake us. On any given day, it might seem like we're out there on our own, but we're not. On any given day, we may question whether or not what we're doing, following you, is going to 
brings success. And, and routinely, Lord, it's because we don't know what success looks like. But Lord, you do. We pray that this week as we walk into our world and we face the challenges that are out there, that you'll give us the faith to believe that you'll never leave us. You'll give us the confidence that what you're calling us to, you will uh, work out the details of our life and we will find success in you. We pray, Lord, in the midst of uh, following you when the criticisms come, uh, when even the doubts come that following you is not working out, uh, that you will allow us to, to see those doubts go away and that you will give us strength and courage to follow you. We're so glad you're uh, such a good God and such a powerful God, but we're also especially glad that in the person of Jesus Christ, you stepped into our condition and helped us to understand the way in which you are with us. We believe it, Lord. You're with us. You'll never leave us or forsake us. May we trust you this week as we work for you. In the name of Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.